turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we will begin in verse 18 and go through verse 25 today. Romans 8, beginning in verse 18 through 25. In God's word, it's written. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what they see? But if we, see, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here ends the reading of God's Holy Word. Let us go to God in prayer. O Holy God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So today, as Paul continues through uh, his letter to the Romans, he, he, last week in, in verse 17, we were introduced into this understanding that we will suffer, that suffering is part of this life in this spirit, that suffering comes to those who are in Christ Jesus. Just because we believe in Jesus does not rid us from suffering in this life. Rather, it gives us a new perspective and gives us a hope in the midst of it. And here's what he said in verse 17. He goes, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so we will suffer. We have suffered. We are suffering. We will suffer again. Scripture makes this clear. But Paul, today, as he's been telling us about life in the Spirit, about life following Jesus, what does that look like in this context? So how do you handle suffering? Now, as we self-evaluate, don't give the Sunday school answer. Answer honestly. As you evaluate yourself, how is it that you handle suffering? Does it lead you immediately into despair? Are you quick to give up? 
Or do you move to the other end? Does it anger you? Anger towards God, perhaps? For you see, right now, this year, this day, COVID-19 has brought a new kind of suffering into the very living rooms of our lives. Never before have we been faced with a global pandemic that the way to survive was to lock ourselves in our homes, to shut ourselves off from others. We weren't designed to be alone. We weren't designed and created to be separated from one another. And so while the attempts to avoid one kind of suffering has brought a whole new level of suffering upon us as individuals, as a community, as loved ones, and as God's church. We have blue tape on the pews. We're trying to do our best. We encourage wearing masks and staying socially distant. But can we all admit with an amen that it is awkward? It doesn't feel natural to see your brother and sister in Christ and say, oh. And we joke about it, we laugh about it in the moment, but it leaves our hearts, our soul in pain. And if we look at 2020, we reflect on the whole year past so far. It can feel as if it has been a never ending parade of trials and tribulations and it isn't even over and for some your whole life may feel as though you have been through a never ending parade of trials and tribulations of one suffering, of one pain, of one heartache right after another and sometimes on top of each other stacked so high you can't see the top, you don't know where the bottom is and you feel you are being crushed. we can't even see where we are. Paul understands suffering. Christ understands suffering. Fellow believers understand suffering. The early Christians understand suffering. These Roman Christians understood suffering. And Paul, in his letters to the churches, always talks about suffering Christ is not an escape from suffering, but Christ is our hope in the midst of our suffering. And as Paul writes about it here, he begins to give us truths behind suffering, behind the Christian life. For he's already told us 
the Holy Spirit is now living permanently in us. He's begun telling us how that changes our lives, how that changes our behavior, how we now have the power to put to death the works of our bodies and our flesh. And he reminds us, though, does not come without suffering. And so Paul encourages us to look beyond our suffering. For it can be cloudy, can be overbearing, can be devastating. And these words God has written down for us, I believe, are ones we not only need to hear now, but we need to hear them tomorrow, and we need them etched on our hearts for every day going forward. For you see, Paul has told us, the scriptures have told us, that because of our faith in Jesus, we are united with Christ. We hold on to him and he holds on to us. And his promise is this, he never lets go. Even when we feel we can't hold on, he never lets go. And we're united with Christ in life and in death and in glory. For we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. And that's what Paul writes there in that verse 17, that we have become co-heirs with Christ. We are united with him. And so we will suffer and we will be glorified with him. Our suffering, though, won't be like his. It can't. His sufferings for our atonement. They were atoning sufferings. They paid the penalty for our sins. Our suffering does not have that power. Only the sinless Son of God could do that. And it was there as Jesus suffers on the cross, he takes his last breath And his disciples and his followers leave dejected, worried. What happens now? They weren't expecting it. And then three days later, three days later, Jesus is raised. He is resurrected and Now, after his ascension, he sits at the right hand of God, exalted. He is our king, exalted forevermore. He is the king now, he will be the king tomorrow, and he will be the king who reigns and lives forever and ever. Amen. And we are united with him. And so Jesus' pattern was this. He suffered, and then he was glorified. We're united with him. 
Scriptures make that clear. So we are connected. So we too will suffer. And then we too, like him, will be glorified. And so that's what leads Paul to write these words. He says it there in verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Essentially, he's saying this. When the suffering in your life seems too heavy, seems too big, too great, so overwhelming, he says, do the math. In Greek, where, where we translate it to I consider, in the Greek, it's written down in, in where we get the word logic. Paul has essentially said, I have taken the measurements. I have done the work. I have completed the math equation. The future glory outweighs all present sufferings. And this past week, I got to meet with another pastor on the beach. We haven't got to hang out since everything went down back in March. And so we were connecting over coffee, checking in with each other. And he asked me how I was doing. I answered, under the circumstances, doing well. Well, he pressed. He goes, why under the circumstances? And I began to answer what I thought he was trying to understand what was going on. And then he interrupted. He wanted to clarify. He goes, that's not what I'm asking. He goes, why are you putting yourself under present circumstances? He reminded me, just like Paul reminds us, we who are in Christ don't live under our present circumstances. We live under the love, grace, and care of our Father who is in heaven. Amen. He said, so that's how we measure how we're doing. We're cared for by the one who loves us unconditionally. And that's what Paul is pressing to us as believers. Our future, our eternity is secure, as he'll tell us later in Romans, that there's nothing we can do and nothing in the world that can come down upon us that will ever separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. This is the promise, the good news, the source of our hope and our attention that leads us when we turn our eyes upon Jesus to raise a hallelujah. Amen? Don't let the tears of pain or loss, sufferings here, count more than that promise of eternal joy and peace. So as we know that we're united with Christ, we know that we have a Lord and Savior who understands. This is the message of the author in Hebrews, that we have a mediator who understands. We have a savior who understands our sufferings, that when we hurt, he hurts with us. And when we rejoice, he rejoices with us. 
and how comforting it is. Because we are united with him. And so Paul goes on as he's talking about suffering. He reminds us not only that the glory outweighs, but in verses 19 through 22, he, he reminds us it's not just you suffering because sometimes we can get so caught up in our own selves, in our own world that we think it's only us and bad things happen only to us. Why me, God? Or why only the people I love, God? And Paul points out the truth that all of creation is suffering that all of it is eagerly longing for glory. And in verse 20, when he writes, he, he's writing to say that creation is not doing what it was intended. For it was brought with futility. And we understand that to, when we go back to Genesis 3, and we understand in the garden there was Adam and Eve, and Adam had sinned, and as God is ready to expel them from the garden. First, he promises redemption will come. But then God lays a curse upon the serpent, Adam, Eve, and all creation. God cursed the ground to bring forth thorns and thistles. God cursed creation in a way that we would have to labor and work and sweat to get it to produce fruit. That there would be suffering. That all creation suffers, including us. And then as he keeps writing, almost 2,000 years ago, could have written it last week because he captures our feelings today doesn't he groaning groaning he captures it who knew that groaning was this spiritual condition we would have groaning we're groaning too right he's saying all of creation is groaning and we too are groaning I hear it when I, when I talk with you, when I meet others out in the community. We are tired. We're exhausted. We have had enough. And we cry out, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, when will this end? Groaning, groaning deep from within our soul, not alone, but as Paul says, together with all creation. But we're not left there, are we? Scripture, Jesus, God himself continues to point us to the hope. For through suffering, we will be glorified with Christ. That there is hope 
for the future, for eternity. Hope in the one Jesus the Christ who secured our salvation and redemption. Hope. Hope is an interesting thing to have. And we look around and, and we groan and when will it end? And we begin at times wondering what's wrong with everyone. And then we see some selfless act, some random act of kindness. And in our culture, we say, well, my hope in humanity is restored and I wish that phrase did not exist. Whether we mean it or not, it indicates we have sorely misplaced our hope. For when we locate our hope in other humans, it will fail. There's only one who we can locate our hope in who never failed, who was perfect and sinless, the only one in life and death we can locate our hope in is Jesus. And so when we see something and say our hope in humanity is restored, take a moment and ask yourself why you ever put your hope there to begin with. Because the scriptures tell us this is all going to turn to dust. Because we're in Christ and united with him, as we heard at the very beginning of worship today, our hope is in a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Paul writes, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen isn't hope for who hopes for what they see. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so when we look around, begin surveying the landscape of our lives and our community, our country, our world, I believe what we see right now doesn't bring us much hope. But the promise, the promise isn't in what we see in this world. It's the promise we hear in God's word in Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Or when Peter writes in his second letter in the third chapter, verse 13, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And as we heard earlier in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And as he continued later on in verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Yes, amen. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. When we think of patience and someone in, in the scriptures to emulate with patience, it's always ascribed to Job, isn't it? 
the patience of Job, a man who we look and see his suffering appears to be beyond anything we would ever desire or think we could handle. And so we look at Job and say, that man had patience, the patience of Job. But patience doesn't mean doing nothing. For the Christian, patience means perseverance. It means in the midst of suffering to persevere in the faith, continuing to turn our eyes upon Jesus. And that it is when we turn our eyes upon Jesus and we behold him and we harness the strength of the spirit, we see others suffering, we reach out to meet them. Patience is a matter of perspective. We aren't surprised when global pandemics, natural disasters, political unrest, and even persecution comes. We may groan. We will groan with all of creation, longing for the day that suffering is relieved, but surprise is not one we find ourselves with. For suffering is what was promised. But we persevere. Job's patience was a perseverance. Because our hope, our hope guides us into perseverance. When we feel the sufferings and our circumstances stacking on top of each other, surrounding us, falling on top of us, and as if we can't carry them anymore, as we sang this morning, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Paul said, do the math. Change your perspective. The sufferings of this world hurt. They're painful. Jesus is with you. And it's in him. Him alone who is our hope. Amen.